Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Wednesday, April 15th. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. The death toll from the coronavirus outbreak here in the U.S. is growing. New York City now registering more than 10,000 deaths, while new states report growing COVID-19 clusters. Plus, President Trump halts funding to the World Health Organization, claiming it mismanaged the crisis from the beginning. And could social distancing be here to stay for the time being? We hear from the experts. This and much more today on You News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. As state and federal governments try to implement a plan to reopen the country, new hotspots are emerging. This while nursing home deaths increase the overall toll of the pandemic. Lorraine Caceres has the latest. As some parts of the country come close to the peak of infections, new hotspots emerging, like Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Nearly 430 workers at a pork processing plant are now sick, and more than 100 people that came in contact with them testing positive. The governor in South Dakota had resisted ordering people to stay at home. Regardless of a shelter-in-place order, this plant would have been up and running because it is exempted as an essential business. The mayor of Sioux Falls asking the governor to take action. We're growing increasingly concerned about um, the need to mitigate that spike before um, it overwhelms our hospital. The governor of Michigan also facing backlash and a lawsuit after implementing a stay-at-home order last week that some feel is too strict, like prohibiting travel to in-state vacation residences, declaring landscapers non-essential workers, and warning that fines could be up to $1,000 for violating social distancing rules. You can't buy your flowers, you can't buy your seeds, you can't plant your own garden. In this type of situation, you want to encourage residents to grow their own garden. Meanwhile, Louisiana reporting its deadliest day yet in the coronavirus pandemic. One of these numbers is a person. It's one of our neighbors. It's one of our friends. The death toll at nursing homes nationwide has been dramatic, making up 25% of New York State's COVID deaths and 46% in Massachusetts, where at least 36 veterans who were COVID positive died at the Holyoke Soldiers Home. The New York City Health Department attributing nearly 4,000 additional deaths in nursing homes, assisted living facilities and private homes in the city alone to the virus, bringing the state's total to approximately 15,000 deaths. And as states try to design a strategy to reopen the country, one governor, California's Gavin Newsom, offering what life might look like once his state reopens. You may be having dinner with a waiter wearing gloves, maybe a face mask, a dinner where the menu is disposable, where your temperature is checked before you walk in to the establishment. And due to the situation with nursing homes nationwide, FEMA is announcing nursing homes will now have to submit COVID data to the feds. In Florida, where there's a large community of retirees, the Miami Herald is actually suing the state in an effort to obtain data on what exactly is the situation in these nursing homes, which the governor has already described as dire. Andrea, now back to you. Thank you, Lorraine Caceres, for that report. Meanwhile, President Trump halts funding to the World Health Organization, claiming it mismanaged the crisis from the very beginning. 
The president also reversing course and empowering governors to open up their states when they are ready, adding some states could lift restrictions before the end of the month. Claudia Uceda has the latest on the federal response from Washington, D.C. Claudia. Good afternoon. That's right. The president back off from his initial statement, and now he's saying that some states will decide when to open. Trump said that some states might be even able to open before May 1st. But now there is another controversy, and the president is getting heat over his decision to stop funding for the World Health Organization for 60 to 90 days. Trump says that his administration will investigate how this organization handled the coronavirus pandemic, and he's going to review his conduct. He says the organization has been China-centric, and already many people are reacting to this. For example, the American Medical Association is basically saying that this is dangerous for the health of the people around the world. This comes as millions of Americans are expected to receive to get a stimulus check deposited to their account today, but now there is a new controversy about the printed checks, and many are wondering if they will be getting them on time. A new report from the Washington Post says that a last-minute request by the government to include Trump's names might delay checks in a time where many need money for their food, for rent, and to pay their homes. The Treasury Department has denied these reports and said that the checks won't be delayed. Now, back to you. Thank you, Claudia Uceda, reporting from home in Washington, D.C. Most Americans know that today, April 15th, as tax day, but this year that is not the case. Instead, because of the coronavirus crisis, the federal income tax filing has been moved to Wednesday, July 15th. That means an additional three months to prepare your taxes or file for an extension. Many experts suggest, however, filing sooner if possible in case you qualify for a refund. Meanwhile, as the pandemic continues to wreak havoc on the global economy, the IMF's chief economist, Jita Agopinath, is warning of a dire scenario if the coronavirus is not contained. Let's listen. But given the extreme uncertainty around the duration and intensity of the health crises, we also explore alternative, more ad adverse scenarios. The pandemic may not recede in the second half of this year, leading to longer containment periods, worsening financial conditions, and further breakdowns in global supply chains. In such cases, global GDP will fall even further by an additional 3% in 2020, and if the health crisis rolls over into 2021, it can reduce the level of global GDP by an additional 8% compared to the baseline. And back here in the U.S., pork and beef producers are asking for support from the federal government. Several meat processing plants across the country are closed due to the coronavirus pandemic, and industry leaders say the live animals can quickly pile up. One solution being proposed by the producers for the U.S. Department of Agriculture to buy large quantities of meat. Livestock farmers are also looking for answers about what help they can expect from the stimulus bill passed late last month. 
Congress set aside $9.5 billion in the package for agriculture producers, but it's unclear what the USDA will do with it. A USDA spokesperson said Tuesday the details will be forthcoming shortly. As government officials continue discussing plans to reopen the country gradually, social distancing could be a new way of life. Meanwhile, researchers and companies scramble to develop a vaccine against COVID-19. Social distancing may be the new way of life, at least for another while. If the virus is around in a few people and we aren't uh, imposing control measures, it will resurge. Researchers at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health say COVID-19 still poses a serious threat and measures like stay-at-home orders and school closures may be needed intermittently until at least 2022. That is, unless a vaccine becomes quickly available. If we could get a vaccine, that would be a total game changer. Um, that's a long way off. That's probably almost certainly a year off. However, research being touted by the White House suggests the pandemic may stop this summer. But there's another important factor to consider, whether people become immune to the novel coronavirus after they have been infected. That's not yet known. Antibody tests check to see if a person has previously been infected with COVID-19, an indication they had the virus and could be immune to it. Trump administration officials have promised that antibody tests are on their way. But on April 6, members of the National Academy of Sciences Standing Committee on Emerging Infectious Diseases and 21st Century Health Threats told the White House that there are issues with the availability and reliability of antibody tests. One reason is because, according to one public health advocate, a lot of antibody tests that have been tried out have been unreliable. The danger in these tests, if you don't understand the quality, is that it could give you a false positive, could give you a false negative. You don't know the accuracy of, of it, and you could really put people in danger by giving them the wrong information. You could let people go back to their lives when, in fact, they're still infected. Right now, at least 21 companies are working on coronavirus treatments or vaccines. Johnson & Johnson announced it plans to begin production of its trial COVID-19 vaccine. The company plans to be the first in human testing sometime in early September. Now, their goal is to have approval by the early part of 2021. As we reported earlier, the death toll in New York City has grown to a staggering 10,000 after city officials revised the count to include presumed COVID-19 deaths. The news confirmed what many paramedics and EMTs have been seeing on a daily basis, that the death toll is much higher than what is being reported. Let's now go to Anthony Almogera. He's the vice president of the FDNY's EMS Officers Union and a paramedic with 17 years on the field. Thanks so much for joining us today, Anthony. And first of all, thank you for all your hard work on a daily basis, as well as the rest of the first responders for what they're doing all the time. Thank you, Andrea. It means a lot to us. Thank you for having me. Now, what's your reaction to city officials revising the official death toll to include unconfirmed COVID-19 cases? It's, it's about time. Uh, we in, in the EMS system have been dealing with 6,000 plus calls since March 21st, roughly. Uh, a huge majority of those have been cardiac arrests, uh, where patients have reported that the families were having symptoms and uh, there was no testing done for them. There's no testing provided for post-mortem 
or for uh, the patients themselves that when they told us, hey, you know, uh, my grandmother, she was having all the symptoms, but we couldn't find a test for her. And, and now she had passed away by the time we got there to try and uh, revive her. So those numbers needed to be revised and to show that it's much more serious than, they, than we had originally thought. How are first responders supposed to report deaths at home, perhaps of people with COVID-19 related symptoms? There's no mechanism for us to report it. You know, we fill out a patient care report and we put in a narrative uh, sometimes that, you know, the patient's family states that the patient had X, Y, and Z symptoms. Uh, that, that's the only way to, to document it if, if we get that information. Do you think that system needs to be revised? For a pandemic to accurately represent all the numbers, yeah, that needs to be revised. Uh, the If we're gonna really uh, account, and, and especially in communities that may be harder hit, like you mentioned the Latino community, um, lower income communities, or any community for that matter, if, uh, if we really wanna see where the source of a contagion is and try and redouble our efforts to control it in that area, then yeah, we should be reporting that or documenting it so that uh, it can be investigated to see if we need to send more resources in there or uh, more education so that people keep social distancing, et cetera. Anthony, describe for us how your job has changed since this outbreak began. So New York City EMS is the largest EMS system in the world. It's the busiest. We do average about 4,000 calls a day. The EMS system now is handling, you know, 6,500 uh, calls a day, roughly. It's slowed down a little, but the cardiac arrest rate has not slowed down. So the it's been tough. I've never been prouder than the EMTs and the medics who are answering the call every day. So many of us are sick with the virus ourselves, where we're out there trying to um, uh, recover. We have multiple members who are currently in ICU. Uh, a couple of them are in really bad shape. Uh, unfortunately, this past Monday, one of the, the EMTs that's been on the job for 24 years, he passed away. Um, it, it's something that we're, you know, scared of, but we're out there doing it. Uh, the EMT, Greg Hodge, passed away. There's some contention with the city where they may not recognize it as a line of duty death. So that really just messes with morale even more. Uh, but, the, you know, they're, they're coming in and they're still doing it and they're still answering the call in spite of all these obstacles and the fear for their own safety. I know and, that uh, you're really... Anthony, I know that you're referring to the passing of 59-year-old Gregory Hodge. Our hearts go out to him and his family and also to all those that worked with him. Now, what toll has this pandemic taken on you and other paramedics? I mean, you can see in my face, we're, we're tired. We're doing 16-hour days. Uh, most of us are going to multiple cardiac arrests a day. Uh, myself, on one Sunday last week, I went to 13 cardiac arrests in 16 hours. Uh, another lieutenant said they went to 14. Um, morale is, is, is low, like I mentioned, in EMS at the moment. Unfortunately, EMS has never been given the resources they need. We're, we're the lowest paid agency. Uh, the EMT that passed away 
if they don't consider it a line of duty death, his family won't receive death benefits, which are not the same as the other agencies. His family only get three years pay, whereas fire and PD, their families will be taken care of with pay and medical benefits for life. It's really taking its toll on us, but you know, we're doing what we can, how we can. And um, the, the, the beat, it's just, I can see it's you know, also I get phone calls. I yeah, I get phone calls every day from members who are struggling. They, they, they say they can't sleep at night. They get nightmares. Uh, they're drinking. This past weekend, I had one that called me who says he was thinking about harming himself. Um, it's been really tough for us. And uh, which makes, you know, what keeps me going is that they still come in, the medics and EMTs, you know, and uh, they're there for me. I'm there for them. We have each other. And that's that's what's getting us through this at the moment. Anthony Almagera, I can see visibly that this is really taking a toll on you also emotionally, um, physically, mentally. And I just pray for you and the rest of your colleagues. Please stay strong. You will get through this. Everyone will get through this. And thank you once again for all the work that you're doing. And let's just hope that this all passes quickly. Once again, please try to stay safe for you and, and your loved ones. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. As the race for the White House continues, former Vice President Joe Biden, currently the Democratic frontrunner, continues to rack up endorsements. Just days after Senator Bernie Sanders endorsed Biden and just one day after former President Barack Obama pledged his support, progressive Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren has publicly come out in support of Biden. In a video released this morning, Warren says, quote, empathy matters. And in this moment of crisis, it's more important than ever that the next president restores Americans faith in good, effective government. That's why I'm proud to endorse Joe Biden as president of the United States, end quote. Earlier this week, Biden unveiled his plan to help reopen the American economy while continuing to combat the coronavirus crisis that has engulfed the nation. Meanwhile, the elderly continue to remain at risk from the worsening outbreak. The latest example, health officials are reporting five coronavirus deaths at a nursing home in Maryland. They say a number of residents and staff members at Regency Care of Silver Spring were tested by Monday night, but five of those residents passed away after being tested, while the tests of two other residents and seven staff members came back positive. On top of that, first responders rushed to the nursing home Tuesday afternoon after reports that a resident went into cardiac arrest. That person later died, but it's not clear if that case was related to the coronavirus outbreak at that facility. And now to Chicago, where a coronavirus outbreak has struck a youth immigrant shelter. As a group setting, the shelter is vulnerable to community spread. Dozens of children have been diagnosed so far, and more diagnoses may follow. Grecia Lastra has more. The outbreak was first confirmed over the weekend. A shelter for immigrant youth located at an indisclosed location in Bronzeville has what appears to be the country's largest number of COVID-19 cases in a shelter for unaccompanied minors. 37 so far with the number expected to increase. At the end of the day, they are group settings for the most part. And um, I think when you have anyone that is living in a group setting like that right now, it is 
nearly impossible to practice any kind of social distancing. The shelter is run by the Heartland Alliance. While their main offices are in the loop, Heartland Alliance currently houses 69 immigrant children in three shelters across the city. Officials there are saying they are now testing all of the minors at their facilities, even those who are asymptomatic and have isolated those who are showing signs of illness. In a statement released today, a spokesperson said the prognosis for all of the children in our care is very good and we are continuing to focus on our participants' health and well-being. About 2,800 unaccompanied minors are being held in a shelter system nationwide. Most were picked up at the U.S.-Mexico border, taken into custody by Office of Refugee Resettlement, which is ultimately responsible for their care and expediting their release until their cases come up before a judge. The reality for most of these children is that there is a way for them to be released to relatives here in the U.S., and that's what the government should be doing right away. This is Grecia Lastra reporting for U News. In Los Angeles, a new prepaid debit card is now available by application to residents who've lost income as a result of the coronavirus pandemic. The program comes as communities around the country wait for federal aid to arrive. And as Jaime Garcia explains, this card is also available for the undocumented. It won't be enough. What's coming from Washington isn't enough and it doesn't go to enough people. In the midst of uncertain economic times caused by the coronavirus pandemic, the mayor of Los Angeles announced the Angelino Car Program to provide financial help to low-income families in Los Angeles, including undocumented immigrants. Applicants will not be asked anything about their immigration status, nor will immigration status be considered in determining eligibility. This innovative program aims to distribute funds using prepaid debit cards holding amounts of $700, $1,100, and $1,500 that will be allocated according to the needs of each individual applicant. Those who are cleaning our hospitals, those who are picking our food, those who are working in our warehouses, it doesn't matter what their legal status is today. They are here as Angelinos, and we will help them no matter what. Applicants can sign up using a website or a phone number. But more importantly, these are not municipal funds, meaning that immigrants can apply without any fear of violating the public charge rule. The program is not using government resources. It is using funds from private foundations, private donors, who are giving the money to this program to help older residents. Manuel Pastor is a board member of the Mayor's Fund for Los Angeles that has raised the private donations to fund the Angelino Car Program. I believe this can be an example for the rest of the country. This non-profit fund created by Major Garcetti has a total of more than $10 million to be distributed. In Los Angeles, Jaime Garcia, U News. More of U News after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. U News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your news, your world, U News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. 
The coronavirus pandemic has left tens of thousands of travelers stranded around the world. Gianni Aponte introduces us to an Italian couple who is currently trapped right here in the U.S. facing an uncertain future. This European couple story is one of adventures and travel. But what started four years ago as a trip around the world in this SUV turned home on wheels ended for now in Florida because of the coronavirus pandemic. We live in limbo now. It's a bit difficult. Although a 38-year-old Italian chef and his wife, 35-year-old Vera, started their adventure in 2016. Setting off from their hometown in England, they left an entire life behind to travel around the world in their SUV. We visited 50 countries in five continents. Toto, as they call their SUV, has been their home for the last four years. This is our home. We've been through beautiful moments in here. It's been a wonderful experience. We crossed Russia all the way to Japan, China, then India, Nepal. In 2018, they shipped Toto from Australia to Uruguay and traveled across the American continent. They sleep, cook, even bathe in the SUV. This is the bed? Yes, this is the bed. It's almost six feet long by almost four feet wide. In the United States, they traveled through 27 states, including Alaska, documenting their trip along the way. In February, they arrived in Florida and towards the end of March, they were supposed to ship their SUV to Africa. They were supposed to hop on a plane, but it wasn't possible and now they face an even bigger problem. Our visa and vehicle permit expired today. Since there are no open restaurants, libraries or public spaces, Aldo and Vera spend the quarantine in their SUV, looking for a parking lot or a place near a river to pass the time. But despite their troubles, they say things could be worse and are looking forward to the day they can pick up and go. Reported by Pedro Ultreras, this is Gianni Aponte for U News. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.